Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 87, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. Teachers, have you ever wondered why some students seem to be able to just do it while other students seem to resist your help? Students, have you ever wondered why it's easier to work in a group than alone? Or why your teachers get tired of answering your questions about the homework, the exam, or the lecture? Today, we're going to talk about what Gretchen Rubin found out when a friend of hers told her, there's no point in going running if I'm only doing it for me. The discoveries that came out of that conversation. At the time she had this conversation with her friend, Gretchen Rubin had already written two books, The Happiness Project and Better Than Before. They basically said, do this and this and this, and you'll be happier. And that was fine except that she started getting all these emails about, uh, okay, but how do I make myself do those things? And this confused her because for her, it was a no brainer, just do it. Then she had lunch with a good friend, someone she'd known since high school. Her friend had been a distance runner on track in high school, but had fallen out of the habit of running, even though she loved running when she was on the track team, and she couldn't seem to get started running again, even though she loved it. Now this confused Gretchen, because for her, going running was just a matter of putting it on the schedule and then just doing it. But her friend said, no, I've tried that and it seems pointless. There's no reason to run if it's just me. And Gretchen was stunned to find out that her way of just doing things is actually pretty rare, and that it's her friend who was the most typical among all the people she talked to to figure this out. And here's what she eventually discovered. There are two kinds of expectations. There's the ones we have for ourselves, which she labels as internal or inner, and the ones others have for us, which are external or outer. And over time, she arrived at the Four Tendencies Framework, which organizes people into groups depending on which kinds of expectations they respond well to and which kinds they don't. And I find this framework really valuable because it's helped me and many of my students find ways to work with our natural tendencies instead of working against them. And as a result, like she said, we get happier and we get more stuff done. There's an easy way to tell which of the four tendencies you are. Think about your answer to this question. What do you think of New Year's resolutions? Now, if you just thought, well, of course I have to do them. That's just what you're supposed to do. You're probably an upholder. If you thought New Year's resolutions, what are those? You're probably a rebel. If you thought, well, that's kind of arbitrary, isn't it? I mean, why do I have to make resolutions on a specific day? You're probably a questioner. And if you thought, if someone else wants me to, then of course I have to make them. But if it's only stuff I want to do, I know I'll never follow through, you're probably an obliger. Now we're going to give a short description of each tendency and its pros and cons. We'll talk about our own experiences using the framework with the students. Then we'll talk about how teachers can frame classwork to appeal to various tendencies and make it more possible for folks to actually get things done by working with their tendency instead of against it. So first, upholders. 
one of your favorite mottos is just do it. You are with Nike here. Upholders respond well to every expectation, both internal and external. You want to go running every morning? You're out there. Your husband wants you to go running with him every evening? You'll get that done too. Whether it's a work task, a school task, a relationship need, or a goal you've set for yourself, you'll just do it. The pros of being an upholder are you are self-starters and you're self-motivated, and people usually say you are the most conscientious, reliable person they've ever known. If there's a task, you'll get it done. It doesn't matter whether you set the task or someone else set the task. Follow through, <laughs> accountability, you've had those things nailed since you were about three years old. But the cons are you've got to be aware that sometimes you can really come across as bossy, uptight, or impatient because you don't need reminders or accountability. So it's hard for you to understand why anyone would. Remember, you're a rare bird. You're unusual. Try to be more aware that most people aren't like you, even though our society really treats your tendency as the right way to be. Second, rebels. One of your mottos is, you can't make me and neither can I. Rebels hate expectations, but not just the ones other people put on them. They even hate the ones they put on themselves. Whether it's something they have to do for school, work, their significant other, or themselves, rebels face a huge struggle getting it done because their reaction to an expectation is, nobody tells me what to do, not even me. Pros, you're about as common as upholders, which is to say, not very common. You're able to think outside the box. You're one of the most authentic people out there. You love spontaneity. And as long as you remember that your reasons for acting are to be the kind of person you want to be, you'll do fine with following through. Cons, if an upholder has a reputation as reliable and conscientious, you're the polar opposite. You can't stand it when you have to do anything and any plan you make immediately feels like a chore, even if it's something you want to do. Now, third, questioners. You're a little more typical than upholders or rebels, but you're still not the majority. One of your mottos is, prove it. Another one is, convince me. Questioners respond well to the expectations they set for themselves, because they've already worked through why they want to do that thing, or why it's necessary, and they've answered all their own questions. But when someone else sets a goal or task, questioners aren't going to do it until they understand it well enough to make it their own goal. Essentially, questioners take external expectations and turn them into internal ones. That's just how they roll. Now, the pros of being a questioner, you're more common than either rebels or upholders, and you're great at tasks that involve data, reasoning, efficient action, and effective results, and you love finding things out. You probably love learning, even if your method of doing it is a little unorthodox or even weird. And you're very likely to be a good student and to end up teaching others because data just makes sense to you. But the cons, you have a reputation for being devil's advocate and arguing all sides of a situation. And a lot of bosses and teachers and maybe even your parents have seen you as insubordinate, disobedient, argumentative, and annoying. You don't mean to be. But until that question, why, is answered, you're not able to move forward. And you think that New Year's resolutions are pointless, phony, and arbitrary, so you never make them. Finally, obligers. We saved you for last because you're the most common folks out there. There are more obligers in the world than any other kind. One of your favorite mottos is, you can count on me. What you add in your head is, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Another is, if I have to, I will. But if I only want to, I won't. Obligers are the ones who often are most down on themselves. 
Why? Because they're not upholders and our society says they should be. Pros, obligers are the polar opposite of questionnaires. Obligers respond really well to outside expectations. If someone, a parent, a partner, a boss, a teacher is holding them accountable, they'll get the thing done. You need a running buddy, they'll be there. Study buddy, they'll be there too. You need someone to remind you to go to the store, check your texts, their message is probably waiting. Obligers are known for always putting other people's needs first. Meeting commitments to others is a high value value for them. Cons, but when they have to hold themselves accountable, obligers fail over and over again. They sometimes know that outside accountability works for them, but they beat themselves up thinking that it's weak to need that. Also, obligers do eventually hit tilt. They have real trouble delegating. They tend to feel that they have to do the thing or it won't get done. They also have real trouble setting boundaries and saying no. Even if they're just recovering from surgery, a car accident, or a hospital-level bout of pneumonia, or these days, COVID. But putting other people first for years, that does eventually take its toll. And even the most dedicated obliger will eventually demand to know what's in it for them. When they hit this point, they can destroy friendships, jobs, and relationships because they finally hit the point where they just are not willing to help other people when they can't make any progress on their own anymore. Reuben calls this obliger rebellion, and it's bad. It's really bad. Obligers who hit obliger rebellion, who hit their limit, they'll quit a job they've held for 10 years. They'll drop out of school a semester before they're ready to graduate. They'll break up with their partner that they've been together with for two decades. So... Our experiences with this, it's mainly mine, this is sort of my baby, but when I discovered the Tendencies Framework about three years ago, I think, I found it just revelatory. Of course I needed answers to everything before I could move forward. I'm a questioner. And of course my husband needed to have a choice about doing something or not doing it. He's a rebel. When I introduced the idea to my students, I got email after email saying, oh my gosh, I'm an obliger, and now I know why I need a study group, or oh my gosh, I'm an upholder, and now I understand why my boyfriend can't stand it when I just do everything I have to do, because he's a rebel and he can't stand being told to do anything. And I found this has really helped my students work with their natural ways of approaching the world. Sometimes my students need reassurance that it's okay that they're not an upholder, especially if they're obligers who have always been told they have to be internally motivated and do everything without support or outside accountability. And it's helped me help them there too. Like Adam, I'm a questioner. I think I tip toward upholder for my research and rebel toward my teaching. I tend to think a lot of parts of life are really arbitrary and can be analyzed and explored rather than just taken for granted. This is fantastic when you're a sociologist and you're trying to explain the little mechanisms that make the social world work, but it's probably annoying as hell if that's not something that interests you and I start diving in depth on a new idea that I've had or I've heard from someone else. While having outside accountability really helps me the way it would obligers, for example, meeting with Adam for this podcast or working with co-authors on chapters, I know that even if my co-authors can't meet with me, I'll still put time and effort in. Will I also procrastinate like crazy? Maybe. But I probably shouldn't have said that last part. Not out loud, no. <laughs> when I teach, I'm pretty relaxed on how my students format their citations so long as they're clear and they're organized and consistent in the paper. But every term, I have students freaking out if I need my paper formatted in MLA, APA, or some other format. 
And they seem genuinely surprised when I tell them I don't care about how specifically their paper is formatted. I'm focused on their content. College teaching is my jam. I get a lot of freedom, choice, identity, and self-expression because I get to choose the material I cover and the way I cover it, when I cover it. I teach out of love and the belief that education helps us understand the world better. And if we understand it better, we can shape it differently. But I can hack teaching at the K through 12 level because I can't have someone else telling me what to teach and when to teach it. I like having broad guidelines that give me flexibility to design my classes in a way that lets me introduce my personality, though hopefully not overwhelmingly just my personality. How students can use this. Upholders, you get anxious when there isn't a clear plan or when the instructions don't make sense. The best way for you to get things done is to do them. It's always been that way. One thing to watch out for though, is following rules just because they're rules and not because there's a valid reason to follow them. You may want to keep a questioner handy to reality check how important a rule really is. Often, rules are not as important or necessary as they feel to you. And watch out for getting overloaded. You tend to say yes to every expectation you take on, whether it's reasonable or not, and that can lead to burnout. Now, questioners, you need to watch out for a couple things that may trip you up. The first is analysis paralysis. When you're presented with too many choices, you feel compelled to analyze each one to death. One way to stop yourself from doing this is to say, I will look at five options and five options only, and I will limit myself to one week of considering them, and then I have to make a choice. Even if that choice is eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or putting all your choices in a hat and picking out two of them, or picking out one of them. The second is when you can't get a satisfactory answer to why you're doing a task, but you still have to do it anyway. In that case, you might want to look for a second order level of reason to do it. For example, this particular homework looks completely pointless, but if I do it, it'll get me the grade I want in this class, and that class will get me the degree I want to finish this college thing. So do the homework, get it out of the way, because there's a second order reason for doing it, even if it's not immediate. Obligers. The question Ruben gets the most often from obligers is, how do I make myself into an upholder? And the answer is, you can't. So learn to work with your tendency instead. Accept that outside accountability is what works for you and stop beating yourself up for it. Arrange accountability partners, running buddies, study buddies, study groups. And finally, rebels. A rebel that Ruben interviewed lamented, it's so hard when I have to and so easy when I want to. So the trick is to make yourself want to. And the way you do this is giving yourself choices and framing them as you freeing yourself from being oppressed or forced. For example, if you have trouble following through on homework, you can frame it as, I'm the kind of person who gets stuff done, so I'm going to get this done too. Or by saying, I have a choice about what to get done first, so I'll do math because it's tough, and I want to get that out of the way while my brain's fresh, so I'll have some free time afterward. Freedom is your discipline, so wield it, and wield it well. How teachers can use this. One of the most important things we can do as teachers is to meet students where they are. The Four Tendencies framework shows you that your students are coming from at least four different places, so it's important to design your course so any tendency can work with the requirements. Here's how to do that. To appeal to upholders, 
make sure they know an assignment checks their preparation for the class to see if they're meeting the course objectives. Emphasize that meeting the objectives will help them pass the course. They're very likely to see that as a worthy goal and they'll be able to meet it because that's what upholders do. To appeal to questioners, make sure the assignments in the course are designed around increasing their skill sets. Let students know if they want to know why you assigned a particular type of assignment, all they have to do is ask and you'll show them how it does its job. Make sure that your assignments have a purpose like increasing skill sets that will help them in your class and in other classes and give them the knowledge needed to complete other assignments in your class and in others as well. To appeal to obligers, show how the learning process is a collaborative effort. Ah, try, let me try that again. To appeal to obligers, show how the learning process is a collaborative effort between you and the students. Show them how their responses will also help you, seeing how well the assignment is helping them meet the course objectives. Damn it, I am stumbling all of a sudden, I'm sorry. Show them how their responses will also help you see how well the assignment is helping them meet the course objectives. And it'll help you evaluate how well you're doing your job. Let students know by doing their work, they're helping you improve too. Also, encourage obligers to find a study buddy or get a study group together. Knowing other people are depending on them, that's what moves them to get things done. There is no shame in arranging their lives so they have outside accountability. And also, as a teacher, consider giving credit for study group meetings. This can really help obligers get what they need to learn effectively. Finally, to appeal to rebels, make sure students always have choices in your class. Ask the rebels. Which of these choices works best to demonstrate the kind of person you are? Design your course to give students choices and tools, which they can use or not as they choose. The best way to make it possible for them to avoid the chore rebellion feeling is to tie what they need to do to who they want to be. Whenever you assign something, ask rebels to consider what kind of person they are and how this task, assignment, or tool will help them be more of that kind of person. Put the focus on that and see what happens. Gretchen Rubin has found the best formula, which reaches all people in a work group or a family or anything else, is to communicate what you expect in this form, information, consequences, choice. So for example, this assignment needs to be completed by this date. It checks your ability to do this thing or your knowledge of this topic, which is part of the course objectives on page two of the syllabus. If it comes in late, there will be a 10% markdown on the grade and you have the choice of when to turn it in. This communicates the external expectation to upholders and obligers, the reasons to do it and do it on time to questioners and the presence of choice for rebels. So that's what we have for you in episode 87. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And also, we'd really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast for us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 88, when we'll talk about standards-based grading, a method that seems to more effectively prepare students for the demands of the real world. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>